Hello, everyone. You are about to listen to uh, our sermon in the series in First Thessalonians, where we are talking about how to be God's good news people. A few weeks ago, you heard Pastor Steve preach a sermon entitled Sexual Immorality Part 1, and he promised you a part two, and until now, you haven't seen it yet. And the reason for that is because, just like you, there are many decisions to make as a leadership team here at Grace Community Church. All of us are faced with unprecedented circumstances and difficult decisions and even anxieties and dilemmas that we're not sure what to do about. Um, And it's no different here at Grace Community Church. And one of the decisions that we had to make was, do we interrupt our sermon series and speak to what's going on in our world, or do do we continue on with 1 Thessalonians? Well, in some ways, we decided to do both. As you know, we cut in for a couple weeks and talked about anxiety and worry and fear and things going on in our world, Um, but we want to jump back in to Scripture and make sure that uh, we are continuing on with what God laid on our heart in 1 Thessalonians. So this is part two of sexual immorality and covers the first part of chapter four. We believe that God's word is both timeless and timely. What I mean by that is that it has timeless truths. It has things that we believe are true throughout time. Some of those we'll even talk about in this sermon. But also God's word is very timely. Things written thousands of years ago can be timely for us today. So as we jump back into 1 Thessalonians, we see some timely words that God is giving his church that helped them 2,000 years ago and can help us here today. So please grab a Bible, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll be taking a look at the first eight verses. I'm not going to belabor the text here. Steve did a great job a couple weeks ago of doing that, and you can find that sermon online as well. Uh, But what I want to do is just quickly look at the text and really look for uh, the most pertinent things that help us apply what the scriptures are teaching uh, here in the church and as we look to love our world and be good news people as well. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're taking a look at the first eight verses. I'll begin with the first two. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ, as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. First, Paul starts with familial language. He says brothers, and here when he uses the word brothers, he isn't just talking to the men, but he's talking to the whole church family. In scripture, God's family is often called the family of God or the spiritual family. Here Paul is reminding us that the church is a family. And brothers and sisters, I just want to say that I miss seeing my church family. The few times I've gotten to see you, it's been on video, and it's just not the same. And I and the other pastors and staff and leaders at Grace long to see you again because we feel like family. As we see Paul writing to the family, the first thing we need to take note of is the things that he is about to say first are for the family of God. Often when we think about sexual immorality, it's easy and quick for us to think about what's going on in the culture, but it's important for us to see here that Paul is talking first to the family of God. 
He is writing to the family of God and showing them how they ought to walk. And it says here in verse 1 that they ought to walk in a way that pleases God. He's saying that if they are good news people, if they know the gospel and if they believe the gospel, that they will walk in a particular way. Here, Paul is showing us something that he shows us throughout his letters, that he saw no dichotomy, no separation from the things that the church believed and proclaimed and what they did. And in fact, in Hebrew thought, to walk in the ways of God, it was uh, basically indicating that every part of your life would be submitted to God, that it wouldn't just be in your mind and what you believed, it would be actually how you live your life. We see this from the very beginning when we look at the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God tells his people, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he tells them, here's how you should pass on that love and knowledge of God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here, God is not telling the Jewish people just to talk about God at these four distinct times a day. He's not putting a number on it. What he's saying is throughout the day, throughout your house, everywhere that you go, you should walk in the ways of the Lord. Not just knowing in your head that God loves you and not in your head knowing who God is, but walking it out. That's what Paul is referring to here. He's talking about living a holy life, a life that pleases God in every aspect of life. Holiness and a holy life in Jewish thought was something that was thought about in a positive way. When they thought of holiness, they thought of the ways of God and the blessing of God and the law of God being there to protect them and show them who God was. They thought of it as something positive and also something active, that holiness was something that they actively participated in. Unfortunately, in modern America, in the West, we often think of holiness as something negative and somehow anti-gospel, and we also think it's passively something that will just take place if we go to church enough or we think the right thoughts. In Jewish thought, holiness was positive and active. We'll see more of this as we go on to verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Here, Paul reminds the church and us that God's will for us is that we be sanctified, that we live holy lives, that we more and more become like Christ, that we more and more reflect the glory of God, that more of us, more of our heart, soul, mind, and strength loves God and loves our neighbor as ourself, that more and more of our lives, our community, our church, our world looks like the kingdom of God. God's will for us is that we would be sanctified. 
It's an act that he does in our life through his spirit and his word and his people, but it is also something we take action on as we remember that we are in Christ, as we remember the indwelling power of the spirit. We see our lives become more and more holy. And then he gets to to the particular application that we're talking about here today. This is God's will for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. When the Bible speaks of sexual immorality, it is speaking of sex outside of the context of man and wife in a marriage relationship. And that is consistent throughout Scripture. We see sexual immorality talked about in great detail in the Old Testament. I was just reading this morning in Leviticus, and it goes through exhaustive detail of every kind of sexual experience outside of marriage, and it it condemns those as being outside of the will of God. Sexual immorality was something that took place in the Roman Empire. Sexual immorality is something that Jesus spoke about. Sexual immorality is addressed in the majority of the New Testament churches. And as we know, it's an issue in our world here today as well. Sex outside of the context of the way God designed it. That's what Paul is talking about here. And he tells us to do two things, to abstain from sexual immorality and to control our body. Abstain from sexual immorality and control our body. Here it says that we should control our body and not be in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. Lust wants something at all cost. Lust wants something even if we know it is outside of God's will. Lust wants something now. Lust wants something immediate. And Paul is saying, don't lust in your passions like those who do not know God, but abstain and control your body. Lust is really the opposite of a holy life. Romans 6.18 reminds us we have been set free from sin and we have become slaves to righteousness. Lust is the opposite of the holy life that God has called us to live. God's holiness at work in our life, God's spirit at work in our life, the gospel at work in our life, it controls us, it compels us towards the kingdom of God and towards holiness and towards the things of God. But lust takes us towards what we want at great cost to ourselves and to others. Here, Paul is saying to possess your body instead of letting your body possess you. That's what lust is. It's letting your bodily, fleshly desires possess you instead of you controlling your body and submitting it to God and his ways. Paul writes in Ephesians that sexual immorality is so strong that we should not even have a hint of sexual immorality in God's church. This is a struggle for each of us. As we look at the the broader church, we see that over half of men are addicted to pornography, and over 75% are using it recreationally. We see that sexual immorality is not just an issue outside of the church, but in the church as well. And Paul is telling us, don't even have a hint of that among you. And he's telling us here as individuals that we need to abstain from that and to control our own bodies and live a life of holiness. As we continue on in verse 6, 
that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. I'm not going to go into that part because Steve spoke on it so well in part one of sexual immorality. Check that out for more on that point. Verse 7, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Here Paul is telling us that sexual immorality rejects the work of the Spirit. It rejects the work of the Spirit. Just as we were just talking about walking in the flesh is the opposite of walking in the Spirit. So when we walk in sexual immorality, when we walk in the deeds of the flesh, in the deeds of darkness, we are rejecting the work of the Spirit. And when it comes to sexual immorality, we are rejecting the work of the Spirit as we are tempted and we give in to that sexual sin. When we give in to that escape, when we give in to that sense of intimacy or false intimacy, as we give in to that pleasure, as we give in to what sin seems to be promising us, we reject the work of the Spirit. And then after we give in to that, we reject the work of the Spirit by not receiving grace. When we walk in sexual immorality, it makes it so hard to remember grace. It seems harder than the other sins in so many ways to receive that grace and repent of that sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul tells us why. He tells us to flee sexual immorality. And he says every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Our bodies are to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, and when we sin sexually, we sin against our own bodies. That's why we feel like we carry it around for so long and it's so hard to get past. We need to accept and feed the work of the Spirit instead of the deeds of the flesh. In our world and in the flesh, we have used our sexuality as a symbol of our freedom, but it has only led to our enslavement. And it becomes harder and harder to hear from the Spirit of the living God. We should be honoring God with our body and possessing and controlling our bodies, but instead we are dishonoring God and others with our lack of self-control. We need good news for our sexual immorality, and we need good news for the world that is enslaved in sexual immorality. So in this area, how can we be good news people? Number one, we need to find our satisfaction in him. When we sin, we are trying to find satisfaction. We are trying to find help. We are trying to find hope. We are trying to find pleasure, escape, companionship. We're trying to find things that we will not find in sexual immorality. We're trying to find things that only God and his design for sex can bring us. So ultimately, we need to find our satisfaction in Christ because that is the only place where satisfaction can be found. Sin always overpromises and then underdelivers. We need to find our satisfaction in Christ. We need to do all kinds of things to 
be held accountable to make sexual immorality more difficult with filters on the internet and accountability. Those are great measures. We need to flee sexual immorality, not have a hint of sexual immorality, but ultimately, we need to find our satisfaction in Christ and the good news of what he has done for us. We need to find our satisfaction in Christ alone. Number two, we need to run to the good Father. We need to not let shame bring us down. That feeling of being separated from God, that shame that we wallow in, it just takes us further and further away from God, and it leads to more and more sin. I think of the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 who demands his inheritance from his father and then goes off and squanders it all in wild living. And then he finds himself feeding pigs and longing to eat what he is feeding the pigs. His father had a banquet for him back at his house, but he left that in order to go and find goodness and satisfaction for himself. And he found himself with nothing. He found himself wallowing in shame and desire and want and unmet expectations. Sin overpromised and it underdelivered for him. So what does he do? He goes back with his tail between his legs, walking up that road. You can imagine as he's walking up that road what he must be feeling like, what he must be expecting from his father. He probably was thinking, I'll just go back and work it off at my father's house. I'll go back and I'll be a slave. I'll go back and I'll feed his pigs. I'll do whatever it takes so I can have a roof over my head. But what does the scripture tell us? As he is still walking up the road, the good father, who is representing our good father in heaven, comes running down the road to greet him and welcome him. And he tells his servants to bring a banquet, to lavish his love upon the son who had squandered it all. We need to do the same. We need to run to our good father. We need to know that he is waiting to lavish his grace and his mercy and his freedom and victory upon us. We can't wallow in our shame. We can take our guilt, we can take our sin, and we can take our defilement, and we can take it to our good Father. Number three, we need to walk in the light. We need to walk in the light. We need to be honest about who we really are and what we have done, and we need to walk in repentance and confession. A great way to do this is obviously first repenting to God, but next is walking in the light in the context of community grabbing someone you trust, pulling them aside, telling them what you're struggling with. We want to encourage you to do that. We want to encourage you to do that with a trusted Christian friend. We want to encourage you to do that with someone in your community group or your community group leader or a staff member or a pastor. Pull them aside and just tell them what you're struggling with. We have some groups called Conquer Groups. Right now, uh, we have some groups for men. We want to get some started for women as well, but it's for people to come together, study the Word, and talk about their struggles with sexual immorality. If you would like to sign up for those Conquer Groups and get into one as soon as they can start meeting again in person, we want to encourage you to take a step of action. You can go on the church's website and click on the Get Counseling tab, and you can fill out a PDI, a personal data inventory, and when it says who you were referred uh, by, you can mention this sermon. 
You can mention the sermon on sexual immorality, and as soon as those groups get back together, we would love to get you connected with one of those groups. We need to walk in the light. And lastly, we need to walk in the power and freedom of the Spirit. We need to grow in our understanding of the Spirit's power and what God wants to do through his indwelling Spirit in our life. We want to encourage you to grab some of the quality resources that we have. In North Liberty, we have our soul care resource shelves. You can take a look at those titles online, actually, on our counseling page on the website, or you can stop by when you are back at the church, when we can gather once again. You can grab one of those quality resources, or right now you can go to CCEF. Dot com, CCEF, Christian Counseling Education Foundation. They have some great little booklets. They're like three bucks, and they can walk you through what it looks like to walk in the freedom and victory of the Spirit. So that's how we can be good news people, but how do we share the good news with a world that is enslaved in sexual immorality? Number one, we need to be a people that learns to learn speak, believe, and live out the gospel. We need to first, as his church, be a people that the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, is on our lips. We need to have the good news of the gospel at the forefront of our minds and how we live our lives. We need to have the good news permeating every aspect of who we are. In many ways, sexual immorality is nothing new, as we talked about earlier. It's been around since the beginning of time. However, we live in unprecedented times where we have such quick access to explicit images. We have such quick access to media. We have such unlimited uh, resources and, and ways that we can access things and we can experience sexual immorality. We need to be a people that live for the good news of the gospel in every area of our lives, and we need to be quick to believe and speak the gospel to one another. In our culture, and even in the church, sex is no longer about something we do. It's become who we are. We first, as God's people, need to remember that who we are is who God says we are, and not be defined by what we do with our body, but be defined by who Christ says we are. So how do we share the good news? First, we need to remember the good news for ourselves. Secondly, we need to lean into our own mess. We need to lean into our own mess. Sometimes someone will call you or text you and say, hey, I'm in the neighborhood. I'm going to stop by if that's all right. When someone does that, there's a couple of reactions. One is, oh, that's so thoughtful. I'm glad they're stopping by. And the other, the second reaction is, oh, no, our house is a mess. So we scramble around and we clean up and we try to make things look presentable and we try to make our house look better and cleaner than it normally is because someone's stopping by. Or even if we know people are coming over, we'll clean up as much as we can and then we run out of time and we leave that one room that we didn't get to touch and we actually just shoveled all of our extra stuff in there and we're like, okay, as long as no one goes in that room, we'll be okay and they'll think my house is clean. We can be very similar to that with our own lives. We try to present ourselves better than we are, or we clean up certain aspects of our life so we can look holy on the outside. But inside, there's still rooms of our heart and our life, still private moments of our life and our habits where we are unclean. 
We need to lean into that and apply and believe the gospel in every place of our life. We need to allow Jesus to come into every part of our life and do his sanctifying work. We need to believe the good news in every aspect of our lives and walk in freedom and victory ourselves. We need to be very aware of our own brokenness and our own sexual immorality before we have any business talking to others about their sexual immorality. And then lastly, we need to lean into the mess of others. As we see that people's life are a mess, especially in this area of sexual immorality, we need to lean in. We need to draw close instead of pushing away. When we keep in mind what Christ has done for us, when we remember the good news for ourselves, we are much quicker to help others see the good news, no matter what state they come to us in. Most of our culture doesn't want to follow Jesus. Not because they've looked into what the Bible has to say about sexual ethics and they've rejected it. Our culture often doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus because of how they have been treated by his church. Brothers, sisters, if we are the family of God, if we are his good news people, we need to speak the truth in love to our culture that is in desperate need of good news. We need to remember the full power of the gospel in our lives so we can extend it to others. We need to make sure that we are not telling our culture to clean up their act and then they can come into the church. That's not what happened for you and that's not what happened for me. God did his amazing rescue and poured out his amazing grace on our hearts, brought us into his people, and then started cleaning us up and sanctifying us. We need to make sure that we are sharing the good news of who Jesus is with people and let him sort out their heart. Let him redeem and find victory over their sexual immorality. We need to remember what his spirit does in us and allow his spirit to work in others. What the Bible says about sexual immorality and God's design for sex is clear but people's stories and hurt are not. We need to listen to people's stories. We need to draw close to them and hear their life story so we can share the good news of who God is and what he wants to do in their lives. In a book that I highly recommend called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Rosario Butterfield Uh, who writes about her college experience, writes about what it looks like to show love and compassion to others through hospitality. Her story is interesting and unique, and it also fits in what we're talking about here with sexual immorality and being good news people because of her story. She writes about how in college she described herself as someone who not only was living a sexually immoral lifestyle, but she was vigilant trying to get legislation written for equal opportunities for those that were uh, walking in homosexual relationships. She was petitioning universities and local governments and the federal government, uh, making sure that there were equal rights for those in gay relationships. And she came across one of her professors and his wife who were evangelical Christians, and they invited her over for dinner. And as she drove up to their house, she had prepared herself for battle. 
She thought that as she walked into their home that they would want to confront her politics, they would want to confront her theology, they would want to confront her sexuality, and that she was going for a fight. But at this point in her life, she was ready for a fight and she wanted a fight over these issues. But this couple, these Christians, invited her into their home. And here's what they said. Here's what she said about going into their home. The threshold to their home and their life was like none other I had experienced. The threshold to their life actually brought me first to the foot of the cross. She says, when I walked through the door of their house, it's as if no door separated them from me. She goes on to say that Christian hospitality brings together the mystery of our union with Christ and the fellowship of the saints to gather in close the stranger, the outcast, and the chronically lonely. Are we ready to love people in that way? Are we ready to practice radical hospitality? Are we ready to speak the truth in love? Are we ready to communicate the good news of the gospel that changes people? Are we willing to let the Spirit do His work in people's lives? Or are we going to demand that they change before they enter our lives, our home, or our church? It is not our job to change people. It is our job to love people and speak the truth in love. The work of the Father through his Son and his indwelling Spirit has done and is doing miraculous works in my life, in your life, in the life of his church, and he wants to do that miraculous work, that miraculous deliverance, that miraculous redemption in this world as well. Let's be his good news people in every area of our lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. God, we pray that we would believe the good news, speak the good news, live out the good news. God, I pray for your deliverance and your victory and your freedom over the sexual sin in our lives and in our church. God, we pray that before we look at the world, we would look first at the household of God. We would look at our own hearts, our own household, our own church. God, would you weed out the sexual immorality that is in our hearts, any lust of the flesh, any inappropriate desires or lifestyles or actions. God, we want to bring those to the foot of the cross, and we want to be reminded that you died for that sin. God, do your sanctifying work. Provide victory and redemption and freedom for your church. And then, God, give us a word for our culture. God, give us a good news for our culture that tells them of the redeeming, victorious, wonderful good news of a Savior that died for our sins. That folks don't have to be enslaved anymore by what their flesh desires, but they can be called redeemed by their Savior. God, remind us of the good news today. In Jesus' name, amen.